amazing grace that it's what we're here to celebrate this morning, that Jesus has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through his victory on the cross as we celebrated last week. So let's stand together and worship that Jesus is reigning over all things, all people everywhere.
understanding, but you can be seated now. <laughs> Hey Familia, my name is Hannah and I serve on our Student Life team. Just a few announcements as we get started this morning. If you're new to Wheaton Bible Church, we're so glad that you joined us. To learn more about who we are, what we believe, and ways to get connected, simply scan the QR code on your seat's armrest or fill out a connect card in the seat back in front of you and bring it to the welcome desk. We'd love to get to know you. If you've been attending for a while and are interested in making Wheaton Bible Church your home, our new members class is on Sunday, October 16th during the 1030 service in Connect Central. For more information and to register, visit wheatonbible.org membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. For couples that are engaged or in a dating relationship and considering marriage, you're invited to take part in our five-week preparation for marriage class. We'll dive into topics such as biblical foundations for marriage, taking care of your finances, and how to communicate with your spouse. Class starts this coming Thursday at 6.30 at night, and there's a small fee to attend. To register, visit wheatonbible.org marriage. That's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for spending part of your Sunday with us, and we hope you have a wonderful week ahead. We're going to take a moment to proclaim what we believe as Christians and also declare our unity with Christians across the world and throughout centuries by reciting together the Apostles' Creed. So let's stand and declare what we believe as a church body this morning. Let's read together. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting.
Well, good morning, church family. Great to be uh, worshiping together. For uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Reschke. I serve as one of our pastors on staff here at Wheaton Bible Church. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of uh, highlighting actually a couple of our uh, missionaries or missions, what God is up to, uh, one story locally and uh, a really special guest globally. And so I'm just excited for our next time as we continue in worship and hearing testimonies of what God is up to. So are you with me? All right, so first, I just want to share with you a quick story and invitation from our uh, Puente del Pueblo team. And so uh, check out this quick video. I had heard about Puente for a few years and through some people I knew, I had heard that there was a need for volunteers and help in the middle school program. And so I decided, hey, I'll, I'll go help with that. That sounds like a fun way to spend a day out of my week during this summer. And then I show up the first day and I love it so much that I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do two days next week. And that just kind of snowballed into me showing up whenever I could. So much of this has been amazing between helping the kids out with their schoolwork or helping out at meals. For me, it just feels good to do good. I've also loved seeing how unlike a lot of other programs in the area, there is still Christ at the center of all of this, and that's very important to me. I've been absolutely amazed by the strides the kids have taken academically, the strides the kids have taken socially. I've been amazed by how much like we've been able to connect, and I've been amazed by how much it seemed like we were truly able to get through to them and just give them a place where no matter what they said, they truly did love coming in and being there. I totally recommend you volunteer because you are gonna have an impact on a student, not only for like the time you're gonna mentor them and their life after, because they're gonna look up to you and because you're gonna help them grow as a person, but also you're gonna help them grow spiritually. You can change a student's life and then when you look back at it, you're going to be like, oh wow, look at the person, the student that I helped. Look how they were at the beginning, but look at them now. And you're just going to remember that you made an impact in their life in a positive way. If you're thinking about volunteering for Puente, do it, because it will be quite possibly one of the best experiences of your life. It certainly has been for me. Well, amen, right church? So yeah, let's give God praise for what he's up to in our community. Uh, so you heard uh, the invite from a couple volunteers. The Puente team is ready to meet you in the atrium if that was an inspiration to you and you just want to take that step of faith. I really, really encourage you to do so and just see what God may do with that, okay? Okay? All right. Now, next, live and in person, I'm excited for our guest because all the way from uh, Uganda to spend some time with us, we have uh, Robert Sitio. And Robert is the leader of Fountain of Hope Ministries. Uh, he's a pastor, a church planter, uh, pastor's trainer, evangelist. The list goes on and on with Robert. And Robert is actually kind of coming back home when he comes to Wheaton Bible Church because we were his church when he was a Billy Graham scholar for two years at uh, Wheaton College, and we were just so honored to send him out. So can you all join me in welcoming Robert this morning? Thank you. Thank you. 
So brother, we're so glad you're here and, and just wanted to have you share with the church um, some highlights. Can you share just what has God been up to and in some of the pieces of your ministry in, in the last year? Good morning, church. <laughs> I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ from Uganda, Africa. It's always good to be back here. Like Pastor Kyle has said, this is home for me. For two years I was here and uh, I've never left. <laughs> My spirit is right here. I always follow the worship services here and it's good to be back here. And uh, I am a pastor in Uganda. Uh, I started a ministry called Fountain of Hope Ministries and it is a church planting ministry. We plant churches in village communities. And uh, so through this church planting, you know, I was serious about planting these churches and then I realized I don't have enough pastors to pastor these, take care of these churches. So we started a Bible school. Now for your information here, when someone is called to be a pastor, they will go to the theological training first. In Uganda, it is different. When you are called into the pastor ministry, you go and become a pastor, and then you go for the training. <laughs> so, so because of that, so many, I, I would say 80% of the pastors there are not trained. And so that's where the false teachings are coming up. Prosperity gospel is just eating up the church there. Everyone that stands on the pulpit is teaching prosperity gospel. And so we started a Bible school where we train pastors to be faithful servants of the gospel. And this first church that I planted is actually in a 80% or 90% Muslim community. So we started a school there, as you see the pictures. We started a school there and uh, God has been very gracious. We've seen thousands of these kids come to Christ. They come from Muslim communities. This school now has about 1,300 kids coming to this school. And just this year, we had over 164 of these kids give their life to Christ. And thank you. So this ministry, like I told you, we do church planting, but uh, after COVID, we realized that uh, people basically ran out of money. And so... People died of other diseases. The government focused on, on, on COVID, neglecting all the other diseases. So we started a medical ministry where we help, we go out in the communities where we have these church plants and uh, help the elderly people, help the needed people with medical, basic medical attentions. And we've seen God work through that ministry amazingly. So basically, that's what we do. And uh, we are grateful that God is using us to expand his kingdom in Uganda. Thank you. Amen. And, and brother, just uh, briefly, I know you had just, you wanted to share uh, uh, your heart a little bit with the church, some, some thanks for support for recent years, um, and just would love for you to do that with our church family. Now. Thank you. So when COVID struck, and there was a lockdown in Uganda. Many of us thought the world had come to an end. So people were just locked in their houses. There was no food. And so people started starving. And being a pastor in, this, in Uganda is a hard thing. 
Everyone will call you, Pastor, I don't have food. Pastor, I am sick. Pastor, I'm like this. And for me, being known in the town, in the city where I live, I got the permit to move around. But I realized that our people were starving. And uh, I could just look at these people and cry because there was nothing else to do. So then I received a message from Whitton Bible here, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Bill, and they say, you know what, the brothers here are sending some food support. For me, there is no time that Matthew 25-35 made sense than that moment when you guys stood up and provided food for the starving families. From the bottom of my heart and on behalf of the church in Uganda, we want to thank you so much, so much for standing with us in that hard time. And you did not just stop there. When COVID struck in Uganda, schools were closed for two years. No school was going on. So the government came up with new policies. Because of social distance now, they say the kids cannot share a textbook. Each kid must have a textbook. And for those schools that are not able to provide those textbooks, those schools were closed. But uh, today, I am so grateful to report to you that our school, Fountain of Hope, is open because of your giving. You provided money to buy the textbooks. And 1,300 kids are able to get quality education here about Jesus because of your giving. And of that, I am so grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So in, in just a minute, I'm going to have Pastor Robert pray for us, but I want to invite our, our ushers forward. And um, as a reminder, Pastor Hannibal said last week that we were going to start again this week um, passing our, our offering plates. And this is our uh, sign. It's our visual uh, reminder. And, and, and ushers, you can start whenever you're ready. Um, this is our visual reminder of giving as worship, Right? It's, it's our reminder that this is part of the continuation. And um, I just also want to remind you that we as a church have the privilege of supporting so many like Robert and Fountain of Hope Ministries around the world who um, God is just working through in mighty ways, church. So I want to encourage you to keep giving. And uh, you can do that here in our services online at wheatonbible.org slash give. And so churches, as we continue to take the offering, I'd love to have Pastor Robert just pray for us over the offering and over everything going on in our world today. Okay, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we want to thank you. We thank you for the finished work on the cross, and we thank you for how good you've been to us, the church all over the world. You've been a blessing. You've blessed so many of us. Lord, I thank you for Whitton Bible and how you've used them to bless nations, to reach out to the body of Christ all over the world. Thank you for using the men and women here to do that. I continue to pray for this church. Will you keep them strong? Will you keep them united? Will you empower those? Will you meet the sick, the brokenhearted, those that are going to, through divorce and other struggles of life, I pray that, Lord, your hand will be upon them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Florida that are going through the hurricane. We pray that you protect them and keep them safe in this hard time. 
And Lord, we commit the whole body in the entire world, many countries that are going through hunger, that Lord, you are provider, will meet those people in their respective places and provide the food, the best needs that are much needed there. Bless the people that are giving right now and bless the service today, even as the message is going to be preached, may it be anointed and empowered to change and transform lives in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Um, and Robert, if we could have you do one more thing for us. Church, if, if you could stand for the reading of God's word this morning. We're, we're in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 50. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 50. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of south will rise at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven spirit is more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with the wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. 
And I want to welcome you this morning. So glad that you are with us. If you're visiting with us, we would love to get to know you a little bit. We'd love for you to stop by the welcome desk out there. You are, you're free to ask any question you want about our church. And we would love to answer those uh, questions for you. We just want to get to know you a little bit and hope you find this place to be welcoming. If you're watching us online, we are so glad that you're with us. I want to invite you to uh, come in the weeks ahead uh, and sit here with us as we worship God together. So we have been in uh, this series on Matthew, and over the last several weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 12. And we've kind of moved through this chapter, and there's a lot that has been seen as we have looked at God's Word here. And one of the things that we have to kind of reflect back on is in Matthew 12, Jesus comes and, and he starts uh, teaching and, and speaking to people. And what he is doing is he is proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. He's saying that the, the kingdom of God has, is at hand and that the long-awaited king of Israel is now present. And so Jesus is proclaiming this, and as he's proclaiming this, what we find in chapter 12 is that Jesus' opposition, the religious leaders, start getting angrier and angrier. In fact, chapter 12, if you want to make a note, is basically the tipping point. This chapter is the, the chapter that kind of seals the deal on the relationship between the religious leaders and Jesus. And from here on out, these religious leaders are going to look for ways that they can charge Jesus with something and eventually sentence him to death. Now, when you look at all of this, we find some interesting things in this chapter as we're going to uh, actually conclude this chapter this morning. And then next week, we're going to start a new section in our series. And so I want to encourage you, grab the, the sticker uh, next week as we continue to process uh, the book of Matthew together. Now, as we jump into this, I want to ask you a deep and spiritual question. Do you remember when you were 16? I don't know if you do, but when you are 16 in the state of Illinois, that's a big year. That's the year that you get your driver's license. For me, it's a, it's a big year right now. My daughter is going to be getting that license within the next month. Pray for me. <laughs> but whenever I turned 16, I had an issue. I had a problem. The problem was is that uh, when I would drive, I unintentionally drove fast. I, there were times that I didn't even mean to do it. I was just kind of going and, and, and driving and eventually I would start to get pulled over. There were actually several times I got pulled over. And I can remember uh, the first time that I got a ticket, and yes, I got a ticket, I ended up uh, trying to hide it from my parents. I didn't even tell them about it, thinking, hey, you know, they'll never know until the state of Illinois sent something to the house, and then 
what I would tell you is that whenever that takes place, there's this thing called tension that enters the relationship between a parent and child. Well, uh, Whenever I would get pulled over, I would end up going through this uh, scenario in my mind that any 16-year-old would do. I would end up saying, God, if you exist, give me a sign that you will get me out of this ticket that is about ready to come. Now, as I would go through that, uh, what ended up happening is that God totally exists and his sign was that he would allow me to get the ticket to keep those safe in the Wheaton-Winfield, West Chicago area. I don't know about you, but I think back to that and there are probably times in your life that you have asked God for a sign. You actually might be going through something right now. Maybe you're dealing with a health issue. Maybe somebody in your family is going through something and you are crying out, you're screaming out, give me a sign. See, people still want signs in their life. People uh, still want these signs that God exists, that Jesus is Lord. The problem is, is that we want our signs instead of the signs that God has given and so when we look at this in Matthew 12, when we look at this section, I believe that there's this truth that kind of comes out and it springs forth and it's simply this. The life and death of Jesus is the greatest sign that your faith, your obedience, and life are valid. The life and death of Jesus so this morning, we're going to go through uh, and we're going to look at this, that Jesus gives these, this sign that draws our faith, our obedience, and our life. And so I want to start with faith. And so look at the text in verse 38. The Pharisees are asking Jesus for a sign. It says this, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're asking for Jesus to do something. Now this is ironic because it's just a little bit earlier that the Pharisees accuse Jesus of actually working with Satan when he removes a demon from somebody that's demon-possessed and gives them speech and hearing. And they end up saying, he's working with Satan. And now they're coming and they're saying, we want you to give us a sign that reveals who you say you are. Now for Jesus to perform a sign, for him to perform a sign for these Pharisees and teachers on command would actually be a wrong thing for Jesus to do. Because if he were to do that, he would then validate that he caters to those that are, are living a life with no faith. He's catered, he would have catered to those that have unbelief. So, he would have allowed them to determine the standards of faith if he would have done something there. 
And so these Pharisees, they're asking for this. And what we have to understand is that no matter whatever Jesus would have done, the reality is none of it would have been good enough for them. He couldn't have done anything. But notice, they're asking for something. And notice they're not asking for a miracle, they're asking for a sign. Now this is important because Jesus has been performing miracles all along. They've seen this take place. And they're now asking for this sign. And, and what people believe is that whenever they're asking for this, they're saying, Jesus, give us some heavenly sign to prove that you are the Son of God. I want you to jump back to the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, Moses is given uh, some ways to perform these signs to say that he was the messenger of God to, to Pharaoh. One of those was that he would throw his staff down and it would turn into a snake. What's interesting is that the Egyptian magicians also did that. They were able to throw their staff down and that it would turn into a snake. And so what is happening is the Pharisees are saying, don't do something that even the Egyptian magicians could do. We want you to give us a heavenly sign that proves who you are. What they're doing is they're trying to lead Jesus along to catch him in something that would enable them to bring a charge against him. From the law. Now, whenever this is happening, their request reveals something. It reveals that they have evil intent and a lack of faith in their life. In fact, if you would just go a couple of verses earlier, look at verses 34 and 35 in Matthew 12. He ends up saying, You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So he knows that these religious leaders are, are full of evil intent, that they have a lack of faith. But then look at what he says in verse 39. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now I want you to see there's two words there that Jesus ends up saying. He, he ends up saying wicked and adulterous. Now I don't know about you, but those don't seem like the most encouraging words to be described as, to be known for. That, that seems harsh, but he uses this response because these religious leaders are coming to him in a way that he has already experienced this time, this type of questioning. See, what these religious leaders are saying is they're basically saying, if you are the son of God, give us a sign. Now, you've been tracking through our series. Something happened in Matthew 4 that sounds very similar. See, in, in Matthew 4, what we end up finding is that Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan comes to him. And he ends up saying in Matthew 4, 3, he says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Just a verse later, he ends up saying, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. See, in Matthew 4, Satan is bringing these questions. If you are 
perform this sign. Now, in Matthew 12, we find the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the pastors of the day using the same phrase. If you are the son of God, give us a sign. See, whenever we see this, we end up seeing that Jesus ends up saying, you are wicked. Meaning that you have evil intent in your heart. That evil has taken root and is leading you. And so he calls them wicked. And at that point, even though they charged him saying that he works with Satan, he is now saying, no, 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 no. You Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you are the ones that are joined with Satan. Now he also uses this other term. Notice that he used the term adulteress. Why would he use the term adulteress? Well, it's simply this. If you look at the, the trail of scripture and you look at how God describes his relationship with his people, meaning the Israelites, and then in the New Testament, his followers in the church, he uses the metaphor of a bride and groom. It's a beautiful picture that, that shows the love relationship between a God who has made a covenant with a people and his love relationship for them and the commitment that he makes to them, saying that he will never forsake them. And so Jesus ends up using this term adulterous because this is a commitment that can't be broken. And what he ends up saying is that he's saying the kind of people that ask for a sign are the kind of people that won't remain faithful. The teachers, these are the Sunday school teachers these are the, the ones that are to be the missionaries, are the ones that will not be faithful. And so what he, what he ends up pointing out is that the leader's faith, the leaders of Israel, their faith is a faith where love and loyalty is only there for a fleeting moment. Now, I bring this to you, and I want you to think for a second about your funeral. That might seem strange. But how would you feel if at your funeral people would stand there and, and they would get up to speak and they would say, well, I remember Phil. Phil was a wicked and adulterous man. I mean, that would crush me. I think it would crush you. And yet, that is exactly what the Pharisees are remembered for. It's, it's rare that we ever spend time reading God's word and we look at the Pharisees and, and think great thoughts. Jesus describes them as wicked and adulterous. And he also says generation, meaning those that are following the teaching and the, the way of life the Pharisees are saying are part of this wicked and adulterous generation. Friends, the life and death of Jesus is the greatest sign that your faith, obedience, and life are valid. We have to remember that Jesus is the sign. Now, 
Jesus then talks about two Old Testament scenes that happen. If you go on and you go to uh, verses 40 and 41, you end up seeing, see this, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus goes to the story of Jonah, and maybe you know the story of Jonah. Uh, maybe you've read it, or maybe you've just spent time watching the VeggieTales movie Jonah. But you know the story of Jonah. Jonah is dealing with, uh, God asks him to deal with the Ninevites. The Ninevites are this brutal people. They're this violent people that end up raising up this army that goes and conquers Israel through uh, power and violence and human trafficking and, and, and force and takes it over. And in that moment, then, they take over the nation of Israel. And so these people... They weren't God's people. They were Gentiles. They weren't part of the covenant. And so God wants to send Jonah to them to, to preach a message of judgment. And Jonah says, no way. In fact, Jonah starts to run, and so he gets on this boat. And you know how the story goes. The storm comes up, and the crew ends up asking one another, what have you done that this storm has happened? And then they ask Jonah, what have you done? And he said, this storm is happening because of me. Throw me overboard. Jonah wants to die rather than go to Nineveh. So the crew throws him overboard, and Jonah's thinking he's going to die, and instead, he becomes fish food. And so he's taken in, and three uh, days, three nights, he's in the belly of this fish until the fish spits him out, and, G and God comes to him again and says, go to Nineveh and preach this message. And so Jonah does. And once he preaches this message, the Ninevites repent. In fact, it's, it's this unbelievable story where the king of Nineveh makes this declaration and he tells the entire nation, put sackcloth on and repent to the God of Jonah. And not only that, he even tells them to put sackcloth on their animals. They are wanting everything to be repented for and because of that, God withholds his judgment on them. And what's amazing is Jonah hates that. So Jonah preaches this message or he gives this teaching to them. But notice this. Jonah gives no sign. He doesn't perform one miracle. He just says the message that God gave him to say. And the sign of how amazing this God is is that this is the guy that spent three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. What a parallel. That our Savior would come, and instead of running, he comes and he goes to a cross and to a grave for three days. And then rises from the dead 
See, Jesus is saying that only one sign is going to be given to the evil generation, to the generations ahead. And it's the sign of the resurrection. The Pharisees, they actually saw miracles and they heard the preaching from the Son of God and they didn't repent. See, they had less to go on. The, the Ninevites did. And yet they repented. Then Jesus goes in verse 42. And he goes to the story found in 1 Kings. The queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. And the way that uh, this happens is the queen of Sheba is probably in what's known as Ethiopia. Uh, today. And so she ends up traveling to Jerusalem, and that is uh, about 1,500 miles she travels to meet with Solomon. Not during a time of trains or planes or automobiles. But she travels all those miles because she wants to see if Solomon is actually as wise as he's known for. And as she's talking and asking all of these questions, through the dialogue, she ends up accepting every answer that Solomon gives. And, and at that point, she ends up submitting to that the God of Solomon is the God of the universe. And again, like the Ninevites, she is an outsider. She's a Gentile. And Jesus ends up saying she will condemn this generation that because they aren't seeing Jesus as the greater Solomon on the day of judgment, she will condemn. See, this is a beautiful thing for you and me. This is what Jesus is saying here is tied to you and me. See, the Ninevites and the queen both responded to God even though they weren't part of the bloodline. They responded without miracles. The queen didn't have any preaching. They didn't even have the life and death of Jesus. And yet both the Ninevites and the queen respond in surrender. Which makes us ask this question. Where are the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba on the day of judgment? Where are they? And I'm going to tell you, they're on God's side. They're on God's side. And what this reveals is something incredibly beautiful. It reveals that God takes outsiders and transforms them into kingdom insiders. You and me, Gentiles, outsiders. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he turns us into kingdom insiders. Now, as we look at this, uh, we see that faith, that the life and death of Jesus wants to draw our faith so that we put our trust fully in him. But he also wants to deal with the subject of obedience. We see that as, um, as Jesus continues on and he ends up starting with this uh, in verse 43, he gives basically a small parable. 
This parable, and just so you know, we're going to be jumping into a, a span of all sorts of parables after this week. But he gives this small glimpse of a parable and he starts telling this story about an impure spirit, a demon. He ends up talking about this demon leaves this house and, and goes away. Find, trying to find this place of, of rest and can't find it. And so as this, this spirit leaves, he goes and gets seven more spirits with him. Meaning that this spirit is gaining strength and goes back to the original residence and ends up dwelling there. And then we see in verse 45, it says this, Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, can I confess something to you? Hopefully this is a safe place. So there's times that people will come over to our home. And my wife will, will say, Phil, can you help us uh, pick up? You got it, babe. I'm on it. And I have gotten really good at whenever my wife asks that to figuring out how many things I can actually fit into my closet and just shut the door so that the rooms look really, really clean. I've actually become a pro at it. Now here's the thing. If whoever comes over opens that closet, they're going to be like, what in the world is going on here? And that pile has been kind of put there, but in all reality, I haven't cleaned. I haven't put things in their place. I haven't uh, taken care of getting rid of, of maybe the dust that needs to be getting, gotten rid of. And, and so in that moment, I am not really cleaning. I'm just trying to hide things. Now, in Matthew 12, verse 22, there's this exorcism that basically takes place, that Jesus removes this, and that's what started the whole scene. That starts this whole conversation. And now Jesus uses this story of this demon leaving a home and can't find a place to stay. And his point of this is simply this, that you can remove things from your life and you can put them in other places. But unless Jesus comes and takes up residence as Lord of your life, everything you've done is going to be inadequate. See, the Pharisees look really good on the outside but their hearts are empty. And so I gotta ask you this question. You all look really good today, but is your heart empty? See, we can put on a facade, we can look the religious part just like the Pharisees and our hearts can be empty. 
We can say we are a follower of Jesus Christ, but unless there is obedience to, to getting rid of, of the things that we have to get rid of and allowing God to take up residence and to be the Lord of our life, we're just going to be what's called neutral. And I got to tell you, neutrality towards Jesus is evil disbelief. It's evil disbelief. And so Jesus is, is calling those in Matthew 12 uh, and us today to true commitment, to obedience, to the will of the Father saying, let me come in to transform your life and obey the will of God. Meaning that you are going to obey the will of God in every area of your life. In your home, in your workplace, with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids, grandkids, wherever it is, in your neighborhood, that you are obeying the will of God. And allowing that obedience to take up residence. That God's will is the thing that moves you. So we see that, that Jesus' signs draw us to faith and to obedience, but he ends up drawing our entire life. Notice how this section concludes. This is a fascinating uh, scene that is here that Jesus is talking and he's talking with a crowd and his family shows up outside, his mother and brothers. So what we can uh, understand here is that Joseph has probably died, his, his earthly father. And so his, his brothers and his mother are there. And when you look at this, uh, what you end up noticing is that Matthew is giving us a hint of something. He's giving us a hint that there is indecision on the part of Jesus' family. You might be going, well, how is that? Well, notice that they end up having to come to where Jesus is to talk to him. And so Matthew's pointing out that his mother and brothers aren't following Jesus the way that Jesus' disciples are following him. Matthew's actually somewhat nice in this. The Gospels of Mark and John actually speak uh, really different, and they really end up speaking that uh, Jesus' family aren't in support of his ministry. In fact, in Mark 3.21, we end up reading that his family went, and the phrase that's used there is, to take charge of him. And the reason they want to take charge of Jesus is because they think Jesus has lost it mentally. This is Mary. This is his brothers think that Jesus has lost it. Now, notice what happens. Jesus ends up not uh, letting this uh, really uh, move him. And in verse 50, he ends up saying, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now there's an interesting word there, whoever. Um, whenever we look at this, uh, we have to look and, and realize that Jesus doesn't really stop uh, what he's doing for his biological family. He actually continues to teach 
This is amazing because what he's saying is, I'm not giving special treatment to my biological family because my spiritual one is more important. Now, he's not trying to say that he disregards his mother or his family at all. But what he's trying to make a point of is that whenever we come into the family of God, that ends up making up the most important family in all the world. He ends up basically saying that when Jesus has taken up residence in your life, the outpouring of that life is this obedience and it's a life that he is a part of everything. And it means that your life and my life need to be incredibly important to one another. Because the Christian family, the followers of Jesus family is a family that does the will of God and loves one another incredibly well. Now I want to, I'm going to get up on my soapbox just a little bit and this is where it, it, it's a little scary. But in the American church, we have done a really good job at saying that our nuclear family, that our little families are really, really important, and they are. But often we put so much value on the lives that are growing up and living within our walls that we forget how important those are that are sitting in the rows with us. And Jesus is saying, Whoever means Jew and Gentile, the ones that are messed up, those are the ones that if they uh, surrender their life to me and follow me in obedience, that they have become a beautiful family and I have adopted them as my sons and daughters and that we should be caring for one another extremely well. And so church, when... Hannibal gets up and he uses the term familia. It's because of this. He wants us to understand that the church family is valid and it's important. So Jesus ends up taking us this and these uh, religious leaders, they were banking on a bloodline. And Jesus is saying, it's not a bloodline, it's those that are surrendered and that understand that I am the way. He's saying that the sign that is given to us is the life and death of Jesus is the greatest sign that your faith, obedience, and life are valid. So my prayer for, for you, for me, is that we would end up seeing that Matthew 12 points us to Good Friday and Easter and that we celebrate and that we allow that Jesus' death and resurrection means everything for us. And it determines everything that we do. Amen?
Father, I, uh, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you give this section of scripture and that you talk to us about family. I thank you that you talk to us about how your life and death means everything. And so I pray, Lord, that as we read this and we see that your son was confronting the religious leaders and um, confronting the, the facade that they had, I pray that you would break through our weak facade that we have in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to be men and women that follow you and say, take up residence in every inch of our life. And that we would understand that you are the one that makes our life valid. That you are the one that makes our faith and obedience valid. So I thank you for your work. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So Matthew 12 ends up urging those that haven't surrendered to Jesus to do that. Maybe that's you and you're sitting here and you're just kind of checking out this Jesus thing. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is calling to you. He wants to draw you into his family. But Matthew 12 also tells us as believers that we must live obediently proclaiming the gospel message. And a part of that is remembering what Jesus did. And so Matthew 12 brings us to the table. A table to remember what Jesus did with his disciples before he went to the cross and before he rose from the dead. And so we come to the communion table to remember who our Savior is. So if you're just checking things out, uh, I just want to encourage you to reflect on, uh, on Matthew 12. Maybe read that text again during this time. If you're a follower of Christ, this table is for you. It's a table to come and to remember. It's the spiritual family coming together. And so before we do that, I want to give you some time to reflect on your life and confess. Confess where you've been weak in these areas. And the choir is going to sing, and as they sing, I want you to spend time in prayer. And then we're going to get together, and we're going to partake of the elements. Spend some time to, in prayer. Thank you. 
So if you have the elements, I want to encourage you to uh, open the small part, to take out the bread. So Jesus gathered with his disciples before he was arrested. And he says this, uh, the Gospel of Matthew says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. I wanna encourage you to flip that over and open the juice. After Jesus had said that, 
says, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. And so Father, we come to this table and we remember today. We remember that your grace and mercy has connected us to you. I thank you for revealing that truth to our eyes and to our hearts. And I pray that as we remember what you have done for us, that we will, out of worship, live lives of faith, obedience, and fullness. And so we thank you for this today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We respond to God's word and communion with the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, Be Lord of Our Hearts. Let's stand together. remind you before you leave that uh, we have a webpage, wheatonbible.org slash Matthew. If you go there, you can not only uh, listen to the sermons and see some uh, other resources there, but there are some videos that have been made. Um, and so I want to encourage you to go. There's, uh, you can watch them on there. Uh, there's been two recent videos that have been produced that go along with our series. They're beautiful. Um, take a look at those. Uh, maybe they'll help you reflect uh, on the book of Matthew 
this week. Um, you can watch them there or on our YouTube channel online. I want to read to you from uh, Psalm 67 uh, for our benediction. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Have a great week.